Last call. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this food that we have already received. We ask God that you would uh, bless this time uh, as we now turn to uh, this great Christian man that has uh, lived a faithful life. And we pray, God, that we would be inspired uh, to do the same. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, we are uh, in Epiphany taking a look at the lives of some saints in the biblical sense, not, a, um, not all of which have been officially canonized as saints, but which are great Christians. Um, when Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, he didn't just mean a few uh, recognized, but all Christian believers made holy. The word saint means uh, set apart as holy. And, um, and like, it's the same word as sanctified. And, um, and so... Just leave that fork in here. You know, it's fine. Um, and we... Um, <laughs> they're so cute at that age. <laughs> yeah. Where is your father? Um, right. All right. So we're looking at, at uh, the lives of some, and, and really taking a look at their uh, epiphany, their, their, their sort of great personal awakening. Although a lot, some of the ones I've chosen as I've taken a look closer, they really had a series of, of recognitions and, uh, and not just one bright moment, uh, and, and it was really a whole life of, of faithfulness. I wonder if you can re- relate to that, not just one, maybe you have had just sort of one, the light turned on kind of moment. Uh, but, uh, but many of you had probably had just a series of smaller. I, I can look on three different moments in my life and think of that them all as conversion moments. Uh, but lots of other times of just sort of awakening. But of course, an epiphany is a sudden uh, awakening. So today uh, we will open with a clip, and you. I think I probably already told you who we're we're looking at. But here's our. Oh, turned off. Let's see. Um, and you couldn't go 
anywhere, and uh, uh, and even I remember this because I was just a little boy. But I, you can't, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing a spoof of of, of that. You know, it's these you know, cartoon characters running down the beach or something. There was a Mr. Bean, I think, with them running running down the beach. Um, uh, and, and the and of course the the uh, the music was everywhere. It'd be very interesting to see if they if anyone would try to make a remake of this now because this, the movie is. I don't want to say it's boring, but there's just these long interludes of just sort of waiting. You know, it's just it's um, they don't <laughs> they just sort of amp things up a little bit. And we watched a, um, we watched another movie like an Alfred Hitchcock or something like that. And it was just like get on with it for crying out loud. But um, <laughs> but the uh, it, so Eric Little uh, was uh, is principally known for disqualifying himself. Uh, from the 100-meter dash in the 1924 uh, Paris Olympics uh, because he, w- he was favored to win and he was, he was going to be the first Scot ever to win a gold medal in the Olympics. Uh, but because the heats were run on Sunday, uh, he, not the finals, but the heats were run on Sunday, uh, Eric uh, disqualified himself. He said, I'm not going to run. And, uh, and he... And so, because he believed that Sunday was the day of, of a rest. It was the Lord's Day. That's really what the movie talks about. Um, and it incorporates some other characters, uh, Harold Abrahams. There's a great scene in there with Carol Abrahams. Maybe we'll get to that. Uh, which doesn't have a lot to do with Eric Little, but I've used it before in a sermon. Uh, just a really neat scene. Um, but Eric had a, was one of those guys who had a series of epiphany moments. Uh, important times, both of which, um, at least two of which, involved him receiving scripture quotations sort of unexpectedly. Um, he was born in uh, January 16th, born on January 16th, 1902, uh, not in Scotland, but in China. His parents were uh, also missionaries. Uh, he went on to be a missionary, and we'll talk about that, but he, his parents were the Reverend James and Mary Little, and it's spelled like Liddell, L-I-D-D. E-L-L, but I've always heard it pronounced little. Um, from the, they were missionaries from the London Missionary Society, and Eric was their middle child. Robert uh, was the older brother, and Jenny was the younger sister. Jenny pr- plays an important role uh, in the movie. But Robert was, was really a companion uh, through, uh, through much of the early years, his closer companion through m- many of his early uh, years growing up. Um, he was born in 1902 on the heels of what is called the Boxer Rebellion. And I, some of you may know about this, but it was a time when Chinese nationalist militants were trying to uh, rid China of all foreign influence. And, and so uh, many, many Christians, uh, Chinese Christians were murdered, uh, missionaries were murdered or, um, or uh, sent away. Their, their family uh, got to stay. Some and I don't really know. I can't tell you the whole story about that. But they they stayed, and so he was sort of raised in this courageous Christian faith. You might say that um, it just would have made a lot more sense with a young family to to get out of there at least till things calmed down. But they stayed because they believed that God had called them and God would take care of the details. Now they did go uh, back to Scotland on furlough when when Eric was five, and so at the age of six, he and his Robert. Stayed uh, his his brother Robert stayed uh, while his parents uh, went back to Scotland. They stayed and enrolled in a school outside of London for principally for missionary uh, children, the children of missionaries. And um, 
and it was called Eltham College. Uh, this 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 school. It wasn't. I mean, he wasn't. He was very smart, but he wasn't. A, it wasn't a college like we think of college. But it was um, kind of college prep. And uh, and Robert was the one who was a gregarious and outgoing and really popular and always uh, trying to be a, a lead, get himself into leadership roles. And uh, he was on the debate club and all this. But but um, Eric loved science and math, and he was just very shy. Uh, he was he was um, very different from his brother, but it turned out that both of them were outstanding athletes. So as the years went on and they would move from just the playground into more formal things, uh, Eric and Robert both, but particularly Eric, just really began to excel. And when he was 16, uh, Eric competed in the school championships there at Eltham College, and he took second in the hurdles and the cross-country run, and the high jump, and he won the long jump, the quarter mile, and the 100-meter dash. And people were just, I mean, he kind of burst onto the, just this little scene, you know, it, it was the, the school there. Um, but, but he was soon from there, from that incredible performance, named captain of the rugby team. He was just kind of a, a, just a sprite of a guy, but he, could out, he never got tackled. He, he just, he out, he'd outrun him. Um, he was uh, also given a, this prestigious award at the school for being the best sportsman there. And he went on, when he graduated, he entered the University of Edinburgh uh, there in, um, in Scotland. And he just wanted to study physics and chemistry. Uh, that's just what he wanted to do. But some friend talked him into joining, uh, participating in some like student sports day. And, uh, and so he's like, well, sure, you know, I'll do that. And of course he won the 100 meter dash uh, and tied the school record uh, at 10.4 seconds. And, um, and so, then, of course, the track coach took notice and, and put him immediately on the track team. And he was also uh, put on the rugby team there at the University of Edinburgh. So, somebody asked them to quit banging the drums in there. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. So, he was, um, so twice, actually, Eric Little was, was named to the Scottish national rugby team. Uh, which is, I mean, just, and he was actually nicknamed the Flying Scotsman, uh, which is uh, the name of a uh, was the name of a steam locomotive that uh, was the the fastest train on the on the island. Went from Edinburgh to um, to London, but they nicknamed him after that train, the the Flying Scotsman. Um, he had this, like you said, this saw this very strange running style, uh, he, and he was he would tilt his head back about um, you know halfway into the race or. Uh, as he approached the finish line, tilted his head back, opened his mouth. I mean, it was the most unaerodynamic uh, form. Uh, think of what he could have done if he just kept his head down. But he he kind of flail his arms around. And people who tried to make a lot of it say he was looking up to God. And I don't know if he was or not, but that's how, uh, that's how he ran. It was very uh, noticeable. And, and so he was on the track team. I mean, he, and so he started, he was competing around Scotland. Of course, he was winning all the time and he was gaining this notoriety. He had these strange, um, this mannerisms. And he always, he was known because he was very gentlemanly. You know, he was raised in this sort of Scottish, I think congregationalist, not Presbyterian um, family. But he would always shake hands with all the, before the race and wish them good luck, all the other competitors. And, and then he would just beat them. Uh, but, <laughs> which is, I guess, the way to do it. But, um, <laughs> But, so he was gaining this notoriety, and people called him the Flying Scotsman and everything. And so he, this, um, this uh, evangelistic society called the Glasgow Students' Evangelistic Union 
uh, was having a real hard time reaching into the coal mining community. That's, that's where they wanted to, to, um, to, to evangelize and to reach these, these coal miners. And, um, and so being a gentleman, uh, Eric agreed when they asked him. They thought maybe if we get a good athlete to come out, they'll, they'll come. He was, he, being a gentleman, he agreed, but then being shy, he thought that was a mistake. And he did not want to, um, to do this. And so we considered uh, backing out. Now, we haven't really talked much about his faith at this point in his life, other than that he was the son of missionaries. He was, uh, his education, we can imagine just where he was and, and the time that was in his education was surely a Christian education, but uh, it was very private to him. Uh, very personal. But he received a letter uh, the next day that, uh, after he w- accepted the invitation. He received a letter uh, amidst all this regret uh, from his sister, Jenny. And she quoted to him, not knowing anything of what he was uh, going through. I think she was in China, so she must have written it months ahead. But she quoted Isaiah 41, chapter, uh, chapter 41, verse 10. And this, I'm going to read the King James, because uh, that's what he got. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with, my, with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, incidentally, this is the same verse that Frank Limehouse preached on in my institution. Uh, and we have, um, and there's a hymn that says... Um, uh, for fear not, for I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee. To what is that hymn? Tell me. Uh, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. What is it? It starts off. I don't know. I, I, I Somebody will will come to you when you're um, making dinner tonight. Yeah, two o'clock. Yeah. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I strengthen thee. Okay. That was helpful, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> I know y'all got it. No, we're good. <laughs> I'll figure it out. If Bob was here, you could tell me. So, anyway, this Isaiah 41, he didn't expect it. Jenny had written it months earlier. He got it on the same morning he was doubting. And he said, these were like the words of God to me. They helped me make my decision. And since then... I've endeavored to do the work of the Master. It was at that point he realized that God may have a, a call on his life. I mean, he was smart, he was fast, but he didn't really know what God wanted him to do. Um, he didn't think anybody would come to this talk that he was supposed to give. But because of his notoriety, because of his physical prowess, um, 80 miners showed up. And he, he was shy, he wasn't a very good speaker. But he... Um, but he the, the record is that many people were moved. Many of the men who came were very moved. And, and more than that, news spread that the flying Scotsman had been willing to step up and talk to a group of people about his faith. So you can imagine the invitation started to, to flood in. And it was there that, that Eric realized if he quit winning races, he would quit getting invitations to talk about Jesus. <laughs> There's this, there's this wonderful scene uh, where uh, in the movie, and I don't know how true to life it is. The movie takes, as you can imagine, takes some liberties. But there's this great scene, famous scene, really, where he's speaking to Jenny. 
and I was going to show it, but it's just, it's just kind of boring. Like they're just standing in the Scottish field. But, um, but he says, I, and I couldn't find one with good quality anyway. Uh, but the, um, he says to her, I have decided to go back to China to be a missionary. And Jenny is just, I mean, that's a family business, right? Jenny is just overwhelmed with joy. He said, but I've got a lot of running to do first. And she's totally, she's crushed. She's totally disappointed. Thinks he's got his priorities all out. He says, he says, Jenny, God made me fast for whatever reason. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I just love that. Because who was, Eric didn't know any more than you and I would know that if he, it's something like running, such as sort of just common and, um, you know, that there's nothing theological about running fast. But that he would, um, that that would be his platform in order to do great things for God. And that God had made him like he was in order to glorify God. Uh, and so that was, that was uh, he realized that the, if I run hard, if I, if I win, I, I can give the glory to God and I'll be able to talk about God. But if, I, if I'm deprecating or whatever, if I'm not ferocious in my, in my competitive nature, then I'll not be able to talk about him because I'll quit winning and nobody will make anything of me. So, um, this makes me think about uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul is talking to them about uh, how important their Christian faith is to every single aspect of their life. And he says, and he's particularly talking about um, uh, food offered to idols, uh, which is not something that we really struggle with, uh, right? But he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I just, uh, I wonder what in your life um, that God has given you that seems like a talent, but how in the world could the church put that to use? And, and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're, a, um, you know, you, you could, I don't know, like I love to, one thing that I have been thinking about that I need to be doing more of is going to my kid's school and read, because I love to read. I love to do that. Just, and I could do that for the glory of God. I do, I spend a lot of things, uh, a lot of hours of my days trying to do things for the glory of God, but there, uh, but the, uh, but for all of us, whatever you do, whatever, wherever God has put you, you're good at finance, or you're good at gardening, or you're good at whatever it is, you're good at being retired. Uh, however that is, you can do that for the glory of God. How, how can, where, where, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all uh, for the glory of God. Well, Eric, um, now we're in 1923. The Paris Olympics are coming up. Everybody's talking about he's the best runner in, in England and maybe in, in the world. Um, the fastest 100-yard dash uh, guy. And, and in the movie, it says that he boards the, the plane or the boat or whatever to, to France and finds out that he's going to have to run on Sunday. Uh, but actually, uh, it, it, the schedule came out in the fall before, uh, before the Olympics. And he actually determined then, this is the Lord's Day. I'm not going to run, do any of my running on the, on, the, uh, on the Lord's Day. And so he decided then that he would train for the 200 and the 400, not, not the 100. But you can imagine, I mean, here they have the, their, their greatest hope to win a gold medal. No Scotsman has ever done this. And he, people were incensed. They were un, unbelievably angry at, at him that he would not... Uh, bring glory to his country. And, you know, of course, they used everything. You can think how much glory that you can give to God for, uh, for running on the Lord's day. Um, and, and just it, it all, all of the disappointment that came at him from the media, uh, all of the anger that came from the Olympic Committee in, in England, I mean, it weighed very, 
very heavily on him. And yet he had to just be a man of principle and say, this is what I believe the Lord has called me to. This is the Sabbath day, and I'm not going to do it. Um, In fact, they wanted him to run so bad that the Olympic Committee in England actually appealed to the International Olympic Committee and asked them to move the heats you know, for on ground religious grounds for the all the athletes, and um, and that appeal was was denied. And so, the thing is, is that if Eric had given in, no one would have blamed him, and no one would know anything about him. It was it was um, he would have won the gold medal, and he would have been forgotten. Who won the gold medal uh, in the hundred yard dash? Well, you know, because it's Usain Bolt. But let's see. Let's think of let's think of another one. Uh, you, you know, who won the 100-yard dash in, um, in 1976? Yeah. Did you somebody say they knew? All right. Don't, don't, you're, 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 messing my, you're messing up my point here, because you, you know who that is. So, um, the, uh, uh, the thing is, gold medal, who, who won the gold medal in cross-country skiing last year? Or uh, last Winter Olympics? Nobody knows. I mean, gold, yeah, if you know, don't you? Okay. All right. Um, very few people would, would know. Um, only nerds. So the. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And right, control my paycheck. All right. The. Um, so, um, that's just. I think that's an important point for us to make. It was holding to his principles that had gained his notoriety and continued his platform even well, long, long after his death, uh, for the glory of God. Um, also. Had he, so had he given in, we would have um, not blamed him, but we would know about him. So he didn't give in, but had he also not competed in the 400, we also, you know, it would just been just this odd story. But he did compete. He, won, he competed in the 400. And, um, and he won. He was not favored because he was a, he was a sprinter. And the, if you know anything about the 400, it requires, you got to be fast, 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 fast. But you, but you can't be too fast because you'll, you'll, you'll peak out too, too early. So in the movie, it shows him getting this note from a, from a guy right before the race, and he actually holds it in his hand and runs with the note in his hand. But actually, he got it um, earlier in the day from a, a British uh, masseur. And the notes, this is one of the uh, other sort of epiphany moments. The note read this. He said, in the old book, meaning the Bible, in the old book it says, he that honors me, I will honor. Best wishes for your success. And not only did the scripture mean so much to him, because, but, but what he took that was that, that there were actually people that his principles, that his, his unwillingness to run on Sunday actually had been very encouraging. That there were people who uh, appreciated his moral fortitude, his, his Christian faith. And so, um, and so it really encouraged him. It took that weight uh, off of him. And he went to the, the uh, 400, which was all the heats and, and the races were during the week. And he wasn't favored. And, and in, as luck as a draw would have it, he picked the outside lane. If you know about the 400, it, they start staggered. And you can't, you're running the outside lane. You can't see anybody. You can't see uh, if, where you are. And yet he threw back his head as he rounded the turn uh, and won. And everybody went bananas. So... Um, he was the first Scot, and he ran for England, ran for Great Britain. Uh, Harold Abrahams did win. Let me tell you that story real quick about Harold Abrahams. Uh, and I don't know if it's true, but I love it in the movie, 
where he uh, he's talking, uh, he's in the training room, and he's uh, there's this incredible weight on Abraham's. Uh, he says, "I look down that track, and I have ten seconds, ten lonely seconds, to prove the worth of my existence." And I, wow, yeah, I know. I just think that's so um, sad. You know, it's just such a uh, incredible weight to say, if I don't, uh, I will have no worth. My, I will be completely unjust. He said to justify my existence. I will um, be completely uh, worthless if I'm not a gold medal winner. Of course, he does win the gold medal and probably thought he was worth something. But, um, but I have used that often because that is how we try to justify ourselves, by our own actions, by our own successes. And, um, and of course, justification means, in the Christian term, means that God has, has um, made us right with God. Uh, not by our own accomplishment or merit, but by Jesus' accomplishment. So he graduates, he, he wins, they have dinners in his honor, he, he goes back, he's a, he's a hero. Uh, when he graduates from the University of Edinburgh, everybody, they call his name and everybody claps for him and, and uh, stands up. Uh, everybody's aware of this national hero and so excited about what he will do for the country and he stuns everybody, he probably shouldn't have been stunning, uh, that, he, um, that he said, I'm going to go work in the family business. I'm going back to China where I was born, I'm going to go be a missionary. Now, in the movie, that's just a little blurb. It says he went on to serve as a missionary uh, in China. But he stayed there for a, a year in Scotland, studied theology, lots of evangelistic speaking, lots of sort of playing games and, and running and all these things. But he went off uh, to China and uh, spent a, a lot of years there. Um, so he went in, I, I guess it was about 20 years, uh, 1925 to 1945, the end of World War I uh, up into uh, the beginning of World War II. Um, so he saw some really turbulent times. And the most so notable times, as, as, really, as, as things were, were really escalating, the Japanese invaded in the mid-30s into China. And they were ruthless. They were, they were brutal. And, uh, and after a while, he was no longer allowed to do uh, his mission work. He met a girl who was about 10 years younger than he was. He waited on her to turn 18. Uh, her parents were missionaries. Uh, and then her name was Florence, this uh, fiery redhead from, uh, from Canada. And, um, and so they had some children, but uh, they, weren't, they have, had a marriage in which they weren't really able to spend time together because they, he kept having to send her off. They would go to furlough sometimes, you'd get to visit with them, but um, they, kept, they, they did not get to spend much time in China, but so devoted was he to his mission work that he went back there. And I just think that's remarkable. I don't know if it would be, if I would, if I felt called to this work, but Amy and the kids couldn't be here, and that was, I, I, I don't think I would be here. I would find something else to do, and I don't think anybody would blame me for that. It was just the, the amount of, uh, of dedication uh, and his sense of vocation, his sense of calling to this ministry was uh, remarkable and inspiring. Um, it was not unusual when he was there, he was ordained at this point, it was not unusual for him to do a baptism or to do a wedding uh, or to hold services with heavy artillery uh, sounds uh, all around him. And uh, it was just a really uh, scary season. And he ended up sending Florence and the children uh, to Canada 
while he remained encamped uh, by the Japanese. They would take you know, any sort of um, compound that they could find. Well, they, he was actually put into a compound uh, that was made by the Presbyterians as sort of a missionary compound. Had like 400 rooms or whatever, and they crammed all these people in there and, and told him he could, they couldn't go out and they couldn't do their missionary work. But, but Eric took it upon himself to be a constant encouragement uh, to all those who were there. He was constantly coaching and uh, teaching kids how to play cricket and how to play basketball and soccer. And um, He was always playing chess with them, organizing uh, s- square dances. His whole thing was he wanted to be an encouragement. Even when they told him that he could not uh, do any of his mission work, he, he could not talk about Jesus, he always knew that God had something for him to do, something of profit that he said. He said. And so... Um, and so he was uh, constantly moving. There's a really moving story about how they'd been there for, for years. And, you know, of course, they don't get any new clothes or anything like that. They're just in, in rags at this point. And, um, and he takes out what he must have been carrying around forever is the shoes that he wore uh, when he won the gold medal. And just handed them to a guy and said, here, you, it looks like you need these. And, it, and he starts wearing them around and realizes later it came out that those were, those were you know, the golden shoes. They weren't golden, but they were, um, but they were his shoes uh, that he wanted. And he just, he just gave them over because somebody, somebody needed them. Well, he wasn't martyred technically, uh, but he died of a brain tumor. Uh, he, he, um, he noticed at, in the, early in his 40s that he was... Um, he couldn't, he, they thought he was having a nervous breakdown because he was just working so hard to always stay up and always be encouraging. Uh, but he, he, he went, slipped into a coma and then came out. And this uh, other missionary, this woman, um, sat down and they were, they were friends. They were talking to him and he said, I must, sir, I must, sir. He was going to say surrender all. They were talking about how important it was. And he, he slipped off, back off to his coma and, and died the next day. Um, in the Beijing Games, so 2008, uh, it was released, the information was released, that the British had actually negotiated for Eric Little's release with the Japanese, but he gave up his spot uh, to a woman who was pregnant so that she could go uh, and be with her family. Just a remarkable man, a remarkable story, uh, an incredible um, legacy of faith, and again, the thing that sticks out to me is had he not stood up for his faith, had he, had he justified somehow that, well, God will, I'll run and God will use this. That, that's what I can imagine me doing. I can say, God, bless my wake. I'm going to run and you can bless whatever I leave behind. Um, and, uh, but for him staying principled, uh, that is how God used his, created his platform. And so you never know. And of course, it wasn't popular. People weren't cheering. Uh, for that decision. And so, to me, that just reminds me of, of when I am uh, in doubt, when I am struggling with the right thing to do, or I find myself justifying, you know, if I can just finagle my way in and walk that, you know, the Episcopalians, we're great at walking, we call it the middle way, right? We, I'm not Protestant, but I'm not Catholic, I'm kind of right, you know, it's just we're always trying to find that fine line right down the middle. Sometimes that serves us very well. But sometimes I find myself doing that, and it's not really the right thing to do. So, um, and and you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but your your spouse does. So uh, the um, <laughs> the <laughs> but the um, uh, it is 
anyway, I hope that's an encouragement to you, uh, this, the life of this, this great man. And we're only 30 minutes in. I've got about 10 extra minutes. You can ask some questions or make some comments or um, give me any thoughts. Yeah. I think it's so important that uh, mothers and fathers get the kids into sports and do things with them. Mm-hmm. But how much more wonderful would it be if they taught them that they put God first and sports second? Well, so I think, that, I think that's right. I mean, a lot of times, you know, we have sports leagues and stuff that are on, on Sundays, and it's sort of the high holy day for, for right. youth soccer. And we, our family, we got to make those choices sometimes. And um, the way we handle it is if he, if he can miss morning church, but he can't, uh, then he can't miss evening church. But if he misses, has to miss both, then he can't, then he can't you know, right. can't do it. So, um, but not everybody makes, makes those decisions. The thing to remember, though, is that Eric's parents weren't his, I mean, they were his earliest Christian influence, but they weren't the primary ones as he was coming along. Uh, it, was his, it would have been his friends, his professors um, there in, in his schools. It was really just the Spirit of God laying, laying it upon, upon Eric in those few moments where uh, Eric had the wherewithal to see how God was working in his life and preparing him for what he called him to. He received those moments with great gratitude, and those are what... When, when, like when he got the, the letter from Jenny, he, he knew that God, uh, he took that as God's word to him. It wasn't just an accident or coincidence. So. Yeah, Rick. So, so the image of the NFL refusing to play on a Sunday, uh, you know, with all of hundreds of millions of people that you know, look toward these superstar football players, that kind of thing. And if, if, uh, if they had long ago adopted the plan that says, no, we're not, we're not going to play on Sunday, and here's why, mm-hmm. imagine what that ripple would be like going out from there. Yeah, yeah, gosh. So if the NFL didn't play on Sunday, that would help my attendance, I can tell you that. Um, but the... Um, yeah, I mean, it would it would have dramatic effect on what college football had, has turned out to be, and and then high school. I mean, it would, um, and just our culture, it, it certainly would have. And yeah, the way it has turned out, you know, you you look at a guy who like you know, just for instance, local example, Mark Brunel, and and the um, the the platform he had because he did play, you know, not because he sat out, um, but because he did play, that gained him the notoriety within the culture and the context that he was. So. I don't want to say that Eric's way, Eric Little's way was the only way or the right way, but it's certainly the right, right way for his time. And I can imagine, uh, I know there have been, um, I've actually heard of some really stellar Orthodox Jewish, Jewish athletes who didn't progress because they couldn't play on Fridays and Saturdays. And, um, and they just couldn't go. I really I haven't heard, honestly, of, of Christian athletes recently that, that um, sat out because of the Lord's Day. But... Um, I've heard of many athletes who excelled in their ability to preach the gospel because of because of that. So, um, so I think just be, having that discerning heart, knowing what God is putting before us, when He's putting it before us, uh, and for what purpose, which takes a lot of discernment. It also takes, I think, it takes a crowd, it takes other people speaking in. Katie, raise your hand first, and then Kathy. Well, I was just thinking, and it was. Only about 40 years ago, when our kids were little and playing sports, that um, we didn't have games on Sunday 
until after one o'clock. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because everyone, the parents took their kids to church, mm -hmm. you know, on Sundays. And the Jewish kids, which would be the only other mm -hmm. group we had other than atheists, um, the Jewish kids were not chastised for not being at practice for a game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. There was one. And I'm, I'm sorry that somehow parents let the athletic situation... Well, I don't want to lament. I mean, I think it's, it's wise to look at our culture and make, make good choices, but I, I don't want to lament. I didn't bring this up to lament the, the way that, that things have, have turned out. Kathy, and then, and then over here. Well, of course, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm much too young. But I told, was told by my great, great, great grandparents there used to be something called a blue law. Absolutely. Yeah. On Sunday. Yeah, there right. were no stores at right now. Right. It was nothing. That's right. That day was dedicated Christians mm -hmm. to God. Yeah. And I think that blue law may have been a well, beginning of a change well, let, let me, in our society as far as Sunday's not. Well, let me say how I sort of follow it. The fact that the laws don't prohibit it, the sports leagues don't follow it, doesn't mean that we as Christians can't or shouldn't. Um, I, I don't I don't know that the law ought to mandate those things. Um, I'm not saying that either. I'm yeah. just making an observation. No, I, 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 and I appreciate the observation. Back in those days, mm -hmm. people didn't do those things mm -hmm. It was a day of rest. I understand. But Eric, I mean, they, they were holding the Olympics on Sundays, and, and, uh, and Eric's, Eric didn't, didn't, he chose, because of his faith, not to participate. It wasn't that they weren't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize I was as old as Kathy's great great grandma. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was raised in New Jersey, and New Jersey in the 40s and the 50s. They had the blue yeah. and it didn't have to do with sports. No. Everything was closed. Everything. All right, hold on, and listen, you guys are y'all. These are important things, but you're not talking about Eric Little, and you're not talking about people having faith and and um. But the society has changed. The thing is, the thing that we can take from Eric, Eric Little is that how to how to live into our society uh, with with faith. So I, I don't want to listen. I, I appreciate that the laws have changed, and that's not great for our. It was his you know, conviction that was strong. It was his was, conviction. He was not going to deviate from what he believed, no matter what mm -hmm. somebody said. He was unmoved, and so, there was nothing they could do to convince him otherwise. So if you don't want to buy alcohol on Sundays, you shouldn't do it. You know that that's right. Yeah, we have choices. Yeah, I dare you not to drink it on Sundays too. So, yeah. Um, and he did too. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go. You could. You don't have to go out. I like. Who doesn't like going out to brunch on Sundays? You don't have to. You don't have to. You can. You can make lunch at home. Now I'm meddling. I'm not just preaching. I'm not. I moved to, I moved to meddling. Yeah. But, but then when when you um, uh, go with 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 your conviction and your belief. Then you're ostracized and, and blackballed. Why? Because that's what society does. But, but that's fine because you're still standing firm in what you believe in, whether you're blackballed or not. True. That, that's, I'm, that's, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm no, just saying what, what society what does to you. Absolutely. Well, it's peer and, pressure. 
They're yeah. trying to conform you into what they well, think you should do. It, it may be a great, like, like for Eric Little, you can pull it back. There, there's, it may be a great opportunity for you to get a, God to create a platform. may not be a national or international. They're probably not going to make a movie about you, more than likely. But, but it might, <laughs> it, it, uh, it may, in fact, give you an opportunity to talk about Christ with someone else. I don't, we don't need to judge or, or get upset about anybody else who's not following our, our ways. We, it just, it's good for us to, not to just blindly go along with the culture, but to, to, um, to live into it as a blessing. Not to step back, but to step in. So, yeah, Amy. Well, kind, of, kind of like that. I mean, I think you know, there's, there's, no, um, like there's no denying, you know, culture tends to change, but, you know, what the body, what... The word says doesn't change, mm. but living into that, um, holding to our to our principles, but in a loving and gracious way, because that's what we tell our kids, you know, like or Thomas who we're talking about with soccer, you know, a lot of times if it's on Sun, you know, if the thing's on Sunday morning, and he's, you know, we say, well, you know, you won't, we just won't play in that game or whatever, we tell him like it's not that that whole team is like. Well, we don't care anything about God. We, I mean, they, yeah, just, right. they just haven't, they may not have learned or known any other way. Right. Well, so in, it's, it's like doing it in a. I really, like, I, this is so funny. I, it never crossed my mind that we'd have this discussion. <laughs> I, I, I really just wanted to say, <laughs> wow. Well, Eric Little, that, that, that he, yes. it was great that he, you know, just said, I'm going to stick to my principles and. But not like um, he wasn't judging everybody else no. for not doing it. But he just said, "This is what I feel like God has called me to." So that was real. That's right. And God, and he was aware of God's mm-hmm. pursuing him, and um, and living into his life. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, this time, and thank you for the life of Aaron Little. May we also be aware of your work uh, in us. And we pray, uh, God, that we would have the the faith uh, to respond with conviction. And courage. And we pray, Lord, that you would reinstitute blue laws. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>